It's time now for the complete story with Evan Fowler, a public news and information feature of BOT Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Eben Fowler with today's Complete Story. Welcome to this edition of The Complete Story. This is Eben Fowler. And recently, Bot Radio Network was in Washington, D.C. at the Values Voter Summit. And I think most of you have heard of the Values Voter Summit. A little bit of background information about it. It was created in 2006 to provide a forum to help inform and mobilize citizens across the United States to preserve the bedrock values of traditional marriage, religious liberty, sanctity of life, and limited government that make our nation strong. Well, it's the Family Research Council and Tony Perkins, who, of course, is the organization's leader, the president, who puts this event on each year in Washington, and we had the privilege of being there. We're going to bring you here in this program interviews that we did with Todd Starnes, Jack Phillips, and Carol Swain. We're going to start with Todd Starnes. Uh, Rich Bott and I were on the floor of the exhibit hall at the Values Voter Summit, and so that's the first one we want to bring to you. Here's Todd Starnes. We're back with you on the floor of the Values Voter Summit 2018 in Washington, D.C. And, Evan, we have with us right now Todd Starnes, a voice that our listeners are going to be very familiar with because of his daily commentary, which we feature on Bot Radio Absolutely. Network. Absolutely. And he gave a rip-roaring speech on Saturday. It was one of the best I've heard you do, Todd. Very inspiring and just incredible. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And I guess I should start off by saying hello, Americans. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, as we uh, say, every day on the bot radio network these are strategic times that we're living in uh right up before the election now you're telling the audience how important it is for them to get out and get engaged oh it is so important and uh you know the polling data out there and internal republican polling shows that there really is an enthusiasm camp and i think the challenge is that christians it's really not in their nature to get out there and engage like that uh you know they they they're They'd rather stay at home. Uh, but as we learned in 2016, when people of faith do stand together, when they do take a stand, you can facilitate change. And so we've got to get out the vote, and people are going to have to take a stand for religious liberty in the midterm elections. You know, I, I like the way you said that because it's not about political parties, but it's about righteousness in our nation. And there are uh, so many important issues that are on the line. That's, that's true. And, you know, I, I love to tell the story in the, in the New Testament. We all know the Bible story of Paul and Silas in the jail and what happened in the jail. But what's interesting is there's also a lesson for us to learn in what happened after they were released. The law enforcement, they had, um, they had incarcerated these guys, Paul and Silas. They'd done nothing wrong. And then when they realized they were called out on it, they said, okay, you guys, Paul and Silas, you're free to go. Go quietly into the good night. And what did Paul say? He goes, he says, now wait just a second here, fellas. He goes, you have smeared our good names. You have done us wrong, and you are going to make this good in the public square. So Paul gives us a great example of taking a stand. You don't have to be mean and nasty about it. You should be winsome and wholesome. You shouldn't, you know, hurt your Christian witness, but you got to take a stand. Todd, uh, you had the the privilege of uh, speaking right before Vice President Pence spoke, and, and you did a great job leading, leading into that. Tell us uh, some of your the impressions you got from the speech that the Vice President made. Well, I thought it was a terrific speech, and I, I thought he hit all of the right notes. And again, reminding people about the president's policies. Many Christians, when they gave Donald Trump their vote, they gave it not for the man, but for the policies. And, you know, Donald Trump, he promised us a lot as Christians. 
And he has delivered on those campaign promises. I, I think it's really remarkable that this man, this president, has invited our religious leaders, our leaders, our pastors, to come and share a meal at the White House to uh, hear their counsel. And so far, the president has delivered on every single one of those policies. And I thought the vice president did a terrific job of reminding us of what the president has done. Todd, as you're a Christian, you're a believer in the Lord, and you're also involved in the secular media landscape, how do you see the the work that Christians are doing? Do you see Christians waking up to their responsibilities to make a difference, to have an impact? Yeah, I think so. I think so, Rich. And and it's really because of radio networks like Bot Radio Network. I mean, I hear I hear from your listeners uh, so much, um, and they send us email messages, and and they send us notes on Facebook and Twitter. It's important because you guys are the communication uh, apparatus. You're getting the message out there. You're, you're telling people these stories they're not necessarily going to hear on the mainstream media. And that's why um, the Bot Radio Network is so important. You know, I love radio. I, I'm just an old radio it's guy. I grew up. It's the theater of the mind. It really is. And, and I think radio is always going to be around. And uh, I always tell people, whenever bad weather happens and the, the, the power gets knocked out, you're not going to be able to get your news and information on your smartphone or the TV, but you can't turn on that radio. Mm-hmm. So that's why Bot Radio Network, I think, is so important. You guys are getting that message out there. All right, so uh, at the moment that we're sitting here on the floor, uh, the exhibit floor at the Values Voter Summit in Washington, D.C., don't know for sure when this interview is going to air, but right now we're sitting right in the middle of this uh, Kavanaugh controversy. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask you to predict the outcome, but more importantly, what do you think is going on in this culture, in the political culture and just in the culture across the country that's causing this kind of an incredible controversy? These are very dangerous times, and it it concerns me and it troubles me um, on a couple of levels. First, there is a legitimate Me Too movement. Uh, there There are men out there doing horrible things to women, and they must be held accountable. But the problem here, guys, is that the... Uh, the Democrats, the liberals, they have weaponized the Me Too movement, and now they're just going after whoever they want to go after. And, and that, to me, seems to be what's happening with Judge Kavanaugh. I, um, the, the other part of the thing that bothers me about this, what about the next Supreme Court justice? Now, just think about this for a moment. You're going to have a very qualified person. When the president picks up the phone and calls that individual, what do you think is going to go through their mind? Yeah. I mean, will they want to, yeah. you know, so we could really, we're looking at a talent and an intellect drain uh, on government because of this this mob mentality. Well, you know, and this is not the first time this has happened, of course. Judge Bork was Borked. I mean, it's, right. it's, a, it's a new term that grew out of that whole situation. They tried to do the same thing to Clarence Thomas, and now we're seeing it all over again. It's uh, the the politics of personal destruction. And you have, you know, you have an allegation that pops up like this. And, of course, you know, you have to hear it out and see what's going on. But yeah. uh, the the smell of it is that uh, th- this is all political. And, uh, you know, of course, we hope that the allegation is false. We'll find out. But it's just terrible that they would do this to an individual who otherwise, uh, from everything else that can be determined and from the hearings, this is a, a an upstanding gentleman with an incredible track record. It, you know, they claim about not uh, that they didn't have enough information about him. He had about three hundred plus opinions. I mean, what more information do you need? More information about Judge Kavanaugh was released than any of the other uh, recent Supreme combined. Court nominees combined. That's right. 
But, but go back to Clarence Thomas for a moment. And again, there's a lot of revisionist history with Clarence Thomas. The FBI did investigate, but they determined it, there was no conclusive evidence that anything had happened. And then 11 Democrats actually voted to confirm mm. Judge uh, Judge Thomas. So, um, so again, if you listen to those in the mainstream media, Chelsea Handler, I believe the actress and comedian, said that Clarence Thomas was a sexual, a known sexual predator. Well, that's just simply not true. So we have to be able to call these uh, call these issues out. Uh, and, and one other thing, we, I mentioned truth. That's the big problem here. Because as believers, our truth, we have a center. That center is Jesus Christ. You know, you, you will know the truth. The truth shall set you free. But now we live in a, in a society where, where truth is irrelevant. It, it's not a matter of what the truth is. It's a matter of what your truth is. And so I raised this issue on my talk show a, a couple of months ago. I said, what happens when your truth conflicts with my truth? Whose truth takes precedent here? So when Judge, when Judge Kavanaugh has to put his hand on the Bible and he swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, my question, if I was Judge Kavanaugh, whose truth are we talking about here? Right. All right. Well, Todd, thank you for being with us, and uh, God bless you and the important work you do, and God bless you, and good luck on your new TV program. Well, thanks, Rich, and I just want to say thanks to all the great listeners of Bot Radio Network. Uh, we just love you guys, and we appreciate you all supporting what we're doing. And i got to get some of that popcorn they've got over at the FRC booth. Yeah, you can almost delicious. smell it on the radio at this yes, point. Yes, if you could Todd, smell Todd, the scratch and sniff radio. If our listeners wanted to contact you, and I'm sure a lot of them do, how can they do that? We've made it real simple. Just go to ToddSterns.com, and we have links to all of our social media and my contact email, and I check out all that stuff every day. Thank you, Todd. Thanks, guys. So I'm talking with Jack Phillips uh, here at the Values Voter Summit in Washington, D.C. Jack is the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, and I'm sure some of our listeners just hearing your name as well as the name of your business probably know what we're going to be talking about. But let's make the assumption that there are a few people who don't know what right. you have been through. So first of all, uh, what, what is Masterpiece Cake Shop? Masterpiece Cake Shop is a small family-owned uh, cake shop in Lakewood, Colorado. We're a suburb of Denver, right across the street from Denver, actually. And I started open the bakery in 1993, 25 years ago, and with the intention of uh, using cakes as a canvas to help people celebrate important occasions in their life. And so what happened? We were pretty successful at that. We'd been in business for about 19 years when two gentlemen came into my store one summer afternoon and asked us to create a cake for their same-sex wedding. One of them said, we're here to look at wedding cakes. The other one said, it's for our wedding. And so at that point, I realized, you know, this is not a cake that I can create. Um, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, for me to participate to create this cake would be like participating in an event that goes against my faith. Mm -hmm. So I graciously tried to tell them, you know, I'm sorry, I don't create cakes for same-sex weddings. And they both were surprised, like, you know, what do you mean? What are you talking about? So, well, I'll make you birthday cakes, cookies, brownies, sell you other custom cakes, but this is a cake that I can't create. And so they got mad. They, you know, stormed out of my shop, swearing at me and flipping me off, and then uh, turned around and sued me with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. So that started back in uh, 2012, and uh, um, almost six years later, uh, we had made it to and through the United States Supreme Court, where the United States Supreme Court this past June ruled in our favor, right, seven to two. Yeah, that's amazing. Right, well, let's talk a little bit about that. To help our listeners understand uh, perhaps the arguments that were used in your case and that eventually helped you to win the case, 
Talk a little bit about the, maybe compare just baking a cake. You know, like I've even baked a cake, believe it or not, even mm. from scratch. You probably wouldn't eat it, but. Uh, I like cake, so I, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between, you know, my baking a cake, whether it's from a, out of a box from the store or, you know, I look up a recipe and go to the trouble mm. of mixing the ingredients myself versus what you were asked to do and typically the kind of work that you do in making a wedding cake. Yeah. Um, like I said, the wedding cake, a wedding to me is, is uh, a marriage is a sacred event. That God ordained marriage between a man and a woman. And for me to create a cake for a so-called marriage, other than that, would go against my deeply held religious beliefs. But it's more than just baking a cake. When I make a cake, I'll sit down with the bride, with her mom, with her sister, with her friends. But we'll sit down and we'll design a cake specifically for that occasion, for that, that bride. So if she wanted something traditional, we would go design a very traditional cake. Or, for instance, if she and her fiancé met and hiking or something, because we live in Denver, so we're near the mountains, but right. we like outdoors. Sure. So we might design a cake with waterfalls and aspen trees and pine cones, something to uh, reflect that relationship. So it's a custom piece of work that I'm actually physically creating and designing face-to-face with this person. So it's not just another cake. It's a custom cake. It's a special cake with a special message that hopefully reflects that relationship. So you actually, it sounds to me like you look upon it much as if any other artist would look upon, whether it's a, a painting, a sculpture, or some, you know, you know, out of metal or whatever. It's, it's as you said, it's more than just baking a cake. It, it's a it's a work of art. It's an mm-hmm. expression of, in terms of your customers, something that they want. But it's also, uh, talk about the, the artistic sense that you have and what makes it different, how it differentiates, you know, from, from baking a sure. cake. Well, first of all, as a kid, growing up, I was always one with a pencil in my hand or paintbrush or something. Every, every elective class I could in school, when you get to choose what, what you get to do with your extra class time, I would choose something in the art room because God's gifted me with, with art, and that's what I love to do. Then when I went to work, when I graduated high school, I needed a job, and a man that lived across the street from me owned a large wholesale bakery and graciously gave me a job, and I found out that I loved baking as well. And then when he bought out another bakery down the road um, and brought in cake decorating, I thought, this is something I can do for the rest of my life. I want to open my own bakery where I can use cakes as a canvas and create art out of cake. So obviously the conflict came but between, and I, and like maybe you to dig into this, because there are going to be some, there would be some people, and I'm sure there were, especially the, the, the people who tried to sue you, who would say, well, I, you know, I don't know how you can claim that that's artistic. So they were obviously arguing against your claim that it was an artistic endeavor to create a cake, right? Presumably so, but they came to a custom cake shop to get a cake. So you would assume that they wanted a custom piece of art made out of cake to help celebrate this event. Do you think you were set up, or, or do you think this just sort of happened dynamically? Do you have any idea? I believe that they actually came in looking for a good cake because that's what I do, and I've, I had won four national awards from national wedding magazines for our cakes. Yeah. All right, so the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and you you won, as you said, 7-2, to two, but something else has, has popped up. It's not over yet. What's going on? Yeah, so to get to the United States Supreme Court is not that easy. They no. turn away not over 99% of the cases that are presented to them. 
And so um, back in June of 2007, it's 2017, when the court announced that they were going to hear my case, that was big news. And so we had a lot of media attention, TV cameras and different things going on like that. That very day, an attorney in Colorado called my shop and requested us to create a custom cake that was pink on the inside, that was blue on the outside to help celebrate a gender transition. When we informed this person that we could not create that cake, same thing, it goes against my faith, but we would welcome them in my store and sell them other cakes and other products. It wasn't that person or their orientation. It was that celebration and the message of that cake. That person went to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, the very same commission that sued me the first time, and filed a complaint. And then the commission then sat on that complaint for a year until after three weeks after the United States Supreme Court ruled in our favor and then said that they had probable cause to pursue this same case again. So what is this experience? Uh, how's this impacted you? I'm sure it's been arduous and difficult and uh, I don't know how to describe it, but how's it impacted you, your business, your family? When the Civil Rights Commission ruled against me five years ago, whenever the actual ruling came out, they uh, the ruling said that I had to change my policy and start creating cakes for same-sex weddings. If I'm going to be in the wedding business, I have to do that. So we had to give up our wedding business, which was 40% mm-hmm. of our income at the time. Uh-huh. I had 10 employees at the time. We were down to four, including myself, because it takes a lot of staff to do the wedding cakes, and I didn't need them anymore. So that cost us financially that way. It cost us um, hateful emails, hateful phone calls, death threats, one that was severe enough and legitimate enough that when my daughter was working with me when the call came in she had her four-year-old daughter working in the shop also and i told them they needed to go hide in the back of the shop until the police could arrive and make sure that everything was straight not to come back out until things were the coast was clear tolerance that's called tolerance right (laughs) yeah so those are the kinds of issues that we've had to deal with all the way through this well how can our listeners pray for you and your family I think pray for us, um, you know, that God always provides all of our needs. He always has, that he will continue to do that. But one of our needs then is that we reflect his, his love and the lifestyle that he wants us to live, to live in a way that uh, honors him and his name in everything we do, so that we will continue to stand firm, but faithfully to our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jack, thank you so much for for taking time to talk with our listeners, and uh, and God bless you in your work with Masterpiece Cake Shop. Next time I'm out there, I'm going to buy something from you. Well, thank you so much. I hope you do. All right. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I have Carol Swain with me now, and I I think most of our listeners have uh, heard Carol's commentaries, and she's been interviewed a number of times on Bot Radio Network. Uh, Carol, so good to have you here, and we're here at the Values Voter Summit in Washington, D.C., Yes, it's always a pleasure uh, to be at various voters, but also uh, because I get to see you guys and and do these interviews. You were at Vanderbilt University. You were on the faculty there for uh, a while. Uh, tell us about that, but then, uh, you know, kind of where you are at this point. You've retired, I understand. Uh, last year, I took early retirement from Vanderbilt, and since then, I have been, uh, you know, supporting myself as a speaker, writer i have a new podcast uh, be the people podcast be instead of we the people mm-hmm. be, be the, the people. people and uh it uh airs weekly on america out loud which is a podcast network so you're also doing some writing though as i understand yes i recently got hired by the epic times 
E-P-O-C-H Times. Uh, it's a newspaper, international, that was started in China by John Tang. It's based in New York City, and they are strongly anti-communist and pro-traditional uh, values. And so I'm very excited about being a colonist for them and producing commentary. One of the things that uh, I think was a really interesting session, and this uh, this happened on uh, Friday morning of the Values Voter Summit, was, and in fact, it was the sort of kickoff for the event, the official first session, and it had to do with the midterm elections. What were some of your takeaways from that, from that particular event? And it was uh, George Barna and Ralph Reed were the two primary speakers. Well, my biggest takeaway was there's no excuse for conservatives to lose the Congress this time because there are enough evangelical voters in just about every district in America that if we actually got off our duffs and stopped complaining and actually voted and encouraged our neighbors to do so too, there's so much at stake we could easily uh, provide the margin of victory not just for a candidate to squeak by, but for a candidate to carry uh, a district. And so when it comes to the Senate and when it comes to the House, it's in the hands of evangelical voters. And I would assume that if they are Christian voters, they would have conservative values and principles on the issues that that's so dear to many of our hearts because we know what God's law is and just how our nation was founded. Well, you know, one of the things that they talked about that they emphasized was how important the evangelical vote was uh, for this last election. Now, there were, there were, of course, a lot of us who had real concerns about uh, President Trump, the man, and some of his, his past and some of the things that he said. And there are still things that he says that we have some concerns about, although I think he's getting a little bit better, a little bit more prudent with his words. But when it came down to it, we were looking at two alternatives. That's just what it what it boiled down to. And the question was, uh, you know, and you hear people argue about the, the lesser of two evils and all that sort of thing. You know, the biblical standard, God has always used people that were unlikely. Like the people of that day... Uh, they didn't fit the mold. And I think that um, we as believers believe that Jesus can turn a person's life around at any point. doesn't matter what they did Mm -hmm. in the past. And so uh, Donald Trump, God has used pagan kings. You know, he used Cyrus. Donkeys. Yeah, God can use anyone at any time. And so when Christians, you know, complain about who someone used to be, I find that very problematic. I don't believe they understand the gospel message and the fact that we're all sinners. Jesus Christ died for our past, present, and future sins. And uh, with Donald Trump, I have watched him evolve. And I felt like when he first got elected that he was kind of awkward when people were talking about God. Uh, You saw an awkwardness. But then I watched the man evolve, and I started noticing differences even at the inauguration. And now, you know, he strikes me as someone that fears God, takes his role very seriously, and he is the best friend that we have had in the White House, I believe, in decades. 
And um, I don't want to. And all the Republican presidents, you know, they haven't all been the same. Some of them have facilitated the liberal left agenda, and they have done great damage to some of the values and principles Mm -hmm. that we hold dear. Yes. And so in Donald Trump, I think we have a friend. He's certainly trying to appoint judges that that are sympathetic to the Constitution and what it was intended to be for our nation. I believe that there's too much at stake for us to be self-righteous and refuse to vote for him or to buy into this whole notion that the liberal left pushes. And when I say notion, I'm going to say social justice. Social justice sounds great. We all want social justice, but at the end of the day, it's a Marxist term. It is Marxism, and they use the grievances of minorities and women and groups that have been... Uh, you know, disadvantaged at times in the past, they use that to advance a political agenda. And so many churches are talking about things that they really don't have a good sense of. So I would encourage a lot of the churches to really go back to the gospel and to vote their values. And if they vote their values and encourage their uh, congregants to do the same, then you would get real change in America. No political agenda is going to be able to change America or any other nation, but we can make Mm -hmm. a difference. Yeah, and that reminds me of uh, the message that Michelle Bachman, the former congresswoman, gave uh, Friday morning and talked about the, the most important thing that we can do and that we need to do is to pray with respect to whether it's this election or whether it's respect to the people who are currently in office, the president, uh, you know, the Supreme Court justices, that the most important thing, the most important work we can do in this very divided nation that we're in is pray. Do you have a comment about that? Well, there was another part to that she said, too. She said fast and that she had just mm-hmm. come off of a 40-day fast. Yes. And for myself, like, I have been struggling. There was a time in my faith when I did fast. And now it's one of the hardest things. But I was so uh, uh, uplifted by her message that it made me feel like I'm going to try again. And, you know, maybe I'll just fast one meal a day or maybe I'll get really ambitious and do a three-day fast. She did a 40-day fast, and I believe that uh, we have time between now and the elections. We know at Second Chronicles 7.14, the Lord says, If my people mm-hmm. will call by my name would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, I would hear from heaven and I would heal that, I would forgive that sin and heal that land. And he wasn't talking to the pagans, he was talking to his people. That's right. And that is, that's such a good word, such a, a good way to end our conversation today. Carol, thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you're continuing to do. Thank you. Well, we've been privileged to bring these three interviews with three very interesting people, Todd Starnes, Jack Phillips, and Carol Swain, to our Bot Radio Network family. We'll be hearing more from other folks who were at the Values Voter Summit, some other interviews and conversations that we had, including Joel Rosenberg and Gary Bauer and David DeLayden and the two co-stars of the Gosnell film, which is coming out on October 12th. So be sure to listen. Thanks so much for listening today.